Today's show is sponsored by our friends at orcacoolers.com. From roto-molded coolers that keep your ice good for days. They have drinkware like the barrel, the football barrel, the shorty, the stein, the teeny, the vino. They have chasers. They have coffee campers and travelers. All sorts of stuff. It's going to keep your drinks cold or hot. You're going to have coolers that will keep ice for days. And they're bear-proof. Go to orcacoolers.com slash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com slash bourbon. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Old Limestone Mixing Water. It is the mixing water of Kentucky bourbon. We are firm believers here at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Drink however you want to drink. You want ice in it? Put ice in it. You want to put some water in it? Put water in it. And if you're going to put water in it, use water that was filtered through limestone in an aquifer that's 130 feet under the ground. Old Limestone's unique Kentucky limestone aquifer produces a rich, velvety, smooth water with hints of calcium and magnesium which amplify flavors yet with no iron at all you can make bourbon anywhere you want but 95 percent of it is made in kentucky because the water is special use old limestone water to mix take the taste test pour a bourbon neat sip it now add old limestone swirl it and sip again check out old limestone at oldlimestone.com or they're available at a store near you or online Bourbon and Beyond, this September in Louisville, Kentucky, with Bruno Mars. The Killers. Black Keys. Brandy Carlisle. Plus Duran Duran, Billy Strings, Black Crows, The Avid Brothers, Blondie, and so many more. Bourbon and Beyond, September 14th through 17th in Louisville, Kentucky. All passes on sale now for as low as $10 down at bourbonandbeyond.com. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. Zeke Baker is on assignment, but together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. This is an interesting one, and I know Zeke is going to be really bummed once I tell him he missed this episode because Zeke likes tequila, Zeke likes mezcal, and this is kind of like that. I am learning a completely new spirit that I've never heard of before, and and my friend Louise Ambrosi is going to share with me about and and don't worry nobody can see you this is a we only use the video so that we don't talk over each other we we have faces for radio this is audio only because nobody wants to see this face all the time but luigi um you own a brand called cardenche and it is did i say it right you did you did you did say right indeed and this is so tall and it is a clear spirit. It is from Mexico, but it is nothing like tequila or mezcal. It is a completely different plant altogether. It is not agave. I've been doing my, you know, I've been doing my research on this prior to you coming on the show. But tell me all about Sotal and and just what it is. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm uh, always excited to be sharing. Uh, uh, so tall with the world uh, and, and have, you know, have people uh, learn a little bit more about this uh, sort of uh, almost, I like to say, almost forgotten category, which is now kind of on the rise again. Uh, I mean, so tall is actually a, a very ancient uh, spirit from uh, Mexico, uh, and it comes from this plant called Dacilirion, also kind of colloquially known as so tall. That is actually the name of the plant. And Wait, what it, is the plant again? That that's the, a lot. Dacilirion. That's the scientific name of the plant. Now, what kind of a plant is it? You know, we're like. It's so it's it's not agave. Uh, there's some people who even go as far as to say hashtag not agave on Instagram. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's from the asparagus family uh, in, in theory, uh, and it's endemic to northern Mexico. Uh, so the majority of Sotol in the world, it grows in, in the Chihuahuan Desert. So in Chihuahua, Durango, Coahuila, uh, going, uh, uh, trickling even a little bit across the border to southern Texas. And that's sort of the, the, the typical area where Sotol uh, grows naturally. 
So you said it's from the asparagus family. I mean, is it bigger than your regular asparagus or is it kind of small, just like asparagus is? I will say to avoid any confusion. And, you know, if this was a video, I would blow up something on the screen or whatever. But uh, it, it doesn't look like an asparagus in itself. It, it looks like a kind of like desertic shrub. Uh, uh, I would almost say like imagine a yucca without a trunk. Uh, it's a very kind of like thinner leaves compared to other cacti like agave that we might know, uh, much more bushy. Uh, however, uh, interestingly enough, when the plant uh, flowers, you know how, you know, the, it flowers and when agave flowers, it gives out a quixote. Similarly as well, also Sotol, it like flowers the quixote, which is, you know, uh, spins up into the air. Uh, but in the case of Sotol, the flowering does not actually kill the plant. So what happens is that when we harvest Sotol, and typically wild-grown Sotol, we harvest it like between 12 and 15 years before we harvest it. Um, you don't have to kill the whole plant, basically. You just cut it at the base, and the quixote will give life to a new plant on top of what we have already harvested. Uh, so uh, you could almost think that it's a, a more naturally sustainable plant to deal with. Uh, um, and and uh, uh, in fact, it's not uncommon to see sort of totem-like structures where you have two or three so tall plants growing on top of each other. Uh, I actually was uh, in, a, in, a, in the desert of Chihuahua fairly recently and saw this massive forests of Sotol. Well, it grows really abundantly. Um, actually, the rancheros that uh, have cattle ranches uh, in Mexico, they, they are, uh, you know, they are asking us, please come to my ranch, get rid of this Sotol. I, I don't want it, you know, I need free space for grazing. And we happily, you know, uh, uh, get rid of it for, for them and, and, and distill it and make it into what is the Sotol spirit. Uh, that has been, you know, drank for centuries, I want to say, in Mexico. Um, Is it one of those things back then, you know, because it's so ab- abundant that they made um, they made it into a drink? Because, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you think about whiskey in America, it was always rye in the beginning because that's where it was east of the Mississippi. There was a lot of rye and it was just easy to distill it. Is that what they do with Sotol just because it's there? Yeah, I would say totally. It, that's sort of how it, it all began, I believe, you know. Uh, and it's actually interesting that you mentioned rye. I almost, uh, when I'm talking to to whiskey aficionados, I, I like to make a rye comparison because uh, I think that, you know, similarly to rye, it is something that was enjoyed a long time ago and sort of over time uh, only remained something very much enjoyed by I, I would say by by uh, experts and by aficionados, but it's making a comeback uh, lately. Uh, uh, you know, I almost like to say that Sotol is to American spirits what rye is to whiskey. Uh, sorry, Sotol is to Mexican spirit what rye is to whiskey. Um, in that sense, you know, a little bit of a, a, a underdog within its own category, but you know, the people that do love drinking it are very much, uh, you know, uh, aficionados. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, is it so, so teach me more about this because we know with, you know, Mexican spirits with, with Mezcal and with tequila, you know, the terroir is so important. Is it same with so tall? Is it the same kind of idea and the, and the prominence and, uh, you know, where it's actually made? makes it i mean or I, I know it's a plant right so it's it's in chihuahua but what yeah. else about the terroir do we need to know actually the terroir in sotol even more so i would say uh, more uh, evidently than in tequila and mezcali really changes the flavor i mean the general flavor profile of sotol i would say is is uh, has a distinctive earthy and vegetal flavor profile uh, but depending on the terroir in which the plant grows, uh, that uh, earthiness and, and, and herbal vegetal notes change uh, quite a bit. So, you know, uh, when I started uh, learning about Sotol, I realized that how much the terroir affects it. Uh, and I decided 
you know, to, to, to look at myself as an explorer of the different terroirs. And in fact, my brand, Cardenche, when I uh, created it, uh, was born as a terroir-driven, uh, 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 you know, Sotol. So uh, we have Sotol del Desierto on the market. That's uh, a, an ensemble of three Sotol plants that grow in the desert of Chihuahua. And it has a very um, dry mineral uh, uh, notes with kind of a, a sweet cacao aftertaste. Uh, and I think that really comes from the plants being uh, in the desert, you know, a lot of sun exposure, but, you know, stress temperatures, very hot days, very cold nights. This accumulates a lot of uh, starches and sugars in the heart of the plant, which we then used to uh, distill. Um, so that's, you know, mainly what I think gives it this peculiar flavor profile. Whereas Sotol de la Sierra, which is another type of Sotol I make, that comes from the mountains. That's how people refer to the mountains, to the forest of the mountain. They call it Sierra uh, in Mexico. And uh, it's much more kind of woody, this kind of like moist uh, forest uh, pine flavors uh, that really remind you uh, of, of mountains. Actually, some people, uh, they drink it and they tell me it tastes like a Christmas tree. Uh, I don't know if it was just because it was Christmas season when they told me that, but it definitely, that piney uh, uh, flavor emulates it a little bit. Um, so that's, uh, and we're actually constantly looking to learn more about other terroirs. We're actually working on a third one currently. That's going to be Sotol de Pradera from the prairie of Durango. Uh, it's funny that you say that though, because as I'm sniffing these, I haven't sipped them yet. So I have both of them. But you are a hundred percent right about the difference between the Sierra and the uh, Deserito, where you know it definitely gets a little more earthy in the Sierra. the The interesting thing that I kind of know, like, um, and I found, I found mezcal to be insanely interesting over tequila, just because of the different types of ways that you know each village cooks mezcal. Is it kind of the same thing with so tall where like there's different flavors of you know, cause you think everything, everybody's like, Oh yeah, mezcal is all smoky and it's not. And I mean, even with these two, so talls, I'm there's such a difference in them, right? Like it's a clear spirit and people don't really think that clear spirits can have this much variation. And that's what I love about spirits from Mexico, because there is a, a, a distinct difference between these two here. Do you distill them the same way or are there different ways you distill it? How do you kind of get those variances in these? Yeah. I mean, uh, we distill it, you know, obviously there's different ways uh, you might be familiar with, you know, the ancestral, the artisanal or the industrial method of distillation. That's not, you know, unique to tequila or mezcal. It's also, you know, mm -hmm. distillates have the same sort of ways uh, we really care because our whole kind of aim is to showcase the terroir of and how it affects the, the flavor. We right now are only making clear, uh, so non reposado, non añejo. We don't want to sort of jeopardize the original flavor by, uh, you know, maybe jeopardize is not the best word to use, but we don't want to compromise the original flavor by, you know, putting it in a, in a, in a barrel and, you know, uh, lending all these very woody nose that they might get. So we really focus on the clear Hoven spirit. We do artisanal method of production because we want to, um, you know, we want to make sure that all the flavors shine through. So what we do is that we harvest the plant uh, with the heart of the plant, the piña, so to speak, and we actually cook it. And this is a peculiarity about Sotol. You cook the piñas underground in an underground oven. So you, you, you know, you dig the oven, you put the piñas inside, you, you, you start cooking them, you cover the oven. So instead of, uh, you know, putting them in a conical uh, uh, formation and smoking them, like it happens a lot with mezcal, this is like direct contact cooking. Uh, from there, it goes into fermentation. We personally ferment with natural yeast, you know, airborne, uh, to really uh, you know, emphasize the, 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 the flavors of uh, its surroundings. Uh, and then from there, we um, go into distillation process. We double distill in 
uh, uh, copper vats. So, uh, you know, copper steels, uh, double distillation. <laughs> Got it. Um, so the question I have for you, I mean, and, and we kind of went right into the spirit. I, I do like them both. Um, it is kind of, you know, in that same kind of family, even though it is a completely different plant and, but it does kind of have similar taste to me than some other clear spirits in, you know, but it's, it's different too, right? Like in, um, hold on. I'm going to say all that again. I don't know. Oh, no. No, I mean, I mean, I understand that I, I know exactly what you're saying because I think it's twofold. I think number one is that it does have a sort of a little bit of a, of a smoky uh, profile because it is after all, and you know, a lot of times people, they mistake smoke, uh, the, the taste of cooked plant with smoky. Yeah. Uh, it's very much, you know, this cooked plant flavor that sometimes can come across as very smoky. And in the case of Sotol, it's like a little more subtle smokiness compared to, to, to mezcal. Uh, but, you know, I will say, I think that there's also, at least what I found, a, a sort of mental association whereby people think, you know, this comes from Mexico, it comes from a cactus, it must be, you know, people expect something. And when you expect something in your mind, you sort of want to make it that. Uh, Yo, but- no, and I completely went in with an open mind and I'm not trying to make, I mean, I, I, I see similarities to it, but I also see the variance and, you know, even between these two, like I said, and I'm not trying to be a broken record here, there is a, a distinct profile for each one of them that is nothing like the other one, right? Like the only thing that they really have in common is that they're clear and they were distilled. But like there is a completely different taste between the two of these, and I love that. And I feel though, I feel like we did things backwards because normally I would ask, tell me your story and then let's get into your spirit. But we went in right into the spirit. So it's good, right? Because now, now we're a little lubricated. We've been drinking a little bit. Tell me all about you. How did you get into this? How did you even find so tall? How did you even make a a brand? Like, tell me your story. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, uh, I like to think that, it was a sort of serendipitous uh, experience of how I, I fell into Sotol. Uh, I mean, I've sort of been in the food and beverage industry. That's kind of my background. I've worked uh, in spirits. I was working doing marketing at uh, Campari uh, for Campari Group uh, here in New York, where I'm based currently. Uh, then I sort of uh, moved away from spirits, more in the food business. Uh, working for a dairy uh, company, uh, you know. That's a big change going from Campari to a dairy company. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I guess you gotta follow passions, and I, 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 I went. Uh, I, I, you know, I sought an interesting opportunity to build uh, what you know an Italian cheese business in the U.S. And not differently from Sotol, uh, every cheese was had a denomination of origin, a specific terroir that it came from, uh, a specific uh, profile of it, and, and a lot of storytelling behind it. not just the brand, but actually the actual product. So I guess that's something that's always been my passion, you know, storytelling and educating people and bringing to markets things that are sort of new and different and exciting, or at least that I find exciting and hope to transmit the same excitement that I have for them to other people. Um, that's the hope. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, w- I was, uh, and whilst doing all this, my sort of passion and side, uh, side work, let's say is, has always been in music. Um, I, you know, work with a lot of musicians, produce lots of events. Uh, I have a record label, independence, smaller record label. Uh, and that's actually how I ended up in Mexico. As I learned uh, through Vice, I want to you know shout out Vice for teaching me about the canto cardenche, uh, which is a, a, this near extinct music genre uh, typical of North Mexico. And I say near extinct because, uh, as it happens, the, the younger generations are not you know sort of getting into the tradition 
as much as their forefathers have been in the past. And so uh, I thought it was quite interesting to, you know, go to Mexico and learn about this type of music, see if there was something I could maybe do to help, uh, uh, you know, bring it to the forefront. I do actively work with a lot of Mexican music producers and musicians that I thought I could kind of loop in and, and, and help this kind of music shine through. So what and kind yeah. of music do you normally do then? I mean, I need your life. This is kind of. Well, I'll tell you, I do. I, I like all sorts of uh, interesting, unique music. Uh, what I don't like is like the basic tunes, tunes, tunes. Uh, I, I like, you know, I do all sorts of different, you know, disco music, funk, soul, uh, uh, you know, uh, indie dance, space disco, uh, a lot of different genres, but even just to give an example, uh, tomorrow night, uh, I'm organ and that's something actually I ended up going into when I launched our brand of Sotol Cardenche. Um, I tried to do a lot, organize a lot of musical experiences around the act of drinking, uh, my Sotol and, uh, we're organizing a, a little, uh, event tomorrow night here in New York in this village where I have this Amapiano. I don't know if you're familiar with Amapiano. That's a South African music that's rising to popularity lately. And we're, we're having Sotol and Amapiano tunes. And, you know, to me, drinking a Mexican spirit doesn't mean that you have to constantly be listening to banda music or canto cardenche or Mexican music. I think it transcends, you know, at the high that you get from Sotol is quite a mystical, deep experience. And you want to, you know, it sort of opens up your heart to let in uh, stimulation from outside. And so I want to work with people that do very unique art, very unique music and sort of enable people to discover it while enjoying uh, this uh, heart opening spirit. I, I kind of love this about you because it's like you're trying to take all these different things that may be... Um, very unique, very interesting, but may not have that mass appeal. And and it's not saying that there isn't a market for them, but it's also maybe people just don't know about it and they need to be educated. So I feel like in all these aspects of your life, you're finding these awesome, unique things and like, and, and you have this personality where you're like, friends, come here, let me show you. Like, I want you to see this. And I love that about you. Like it is 30 minutes on the phone with you and I can already tell how much you love life, my friend and, and love experiences and love bringing people together. And that is such a cool thing. I'm actually going to come to uh, Tennessee soon. I understand you're based in Nashville. I am. Well, I'm going to come to Tennessee, Nashville, Memphis. Uh, I'm starting to work with blues musicians because similarly to Canto Cardenche, I feel that blues is the type of music that, has, is very much rooted into uh, a, a location, uh, but has been sort of, uh, uh, has lost a lot of its popularity in the recent years. And it's making a little bit of a comeback lately, I think, and uh, has this very deep uh, uh, kind of like, uh, um, it's a music that's very deep, very of the soul. Uh, and that's actually what Canto Cardenche is. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the whole concept behind Canto Cardenche is that you sing as a cathartic act of releasing your deep emotions. It's an a cappella music where people bring their voices to uh, um, extreme uh, intonations to create a sort of instrumentation. Uh, and, uh, and, and they really, they say they, they, they drink so tall before singing because they, uh, it helps them open up their heart and release these deep emotions. Uh, and that's also part of why I decided to, you know, call my brand Cardenche to honor this message of really like letting loose ex and expressing your deepest feelings. Um, uh, you know, and it just so happens to be that the Cardencheros live, uh, which are the singers of Cardencia music, they live in a hub where there's a lot of distilleries making Sotol. And through being there with them, that's actually how I came to contact with Sotol. And, you know, leaving their village, I started, you know, visiting different distilleries and, you know, learning more and more about the product, falling more and more in love, and ultimately deciding to create a brand that 
you know, could, could be brought into the world. So how many distilleries are down there? I mean, are they, they small? Is it kind of like Mezcal where like each village has its own so tall distillery or is it something where like there are bigger distilleries down there making so tall? There's not really any big distilleries, I would say. Um, actually, the only big distillery that makes industrial Sotol is, is, is in fact, in America. Uh, but <laughs> in Mexico, it's all kind of like smaller, uh, more artisanal processes. And as you very well said, uh, it's a sort of like there's different hubs where a village will have, you know, the, each village will have their own uh, Sotol distillery. And that's that's also kind of comes from the fact that for many years it was illegal uh, to commercialize Sotol. Because um, what was happening, because it is produced so close to the U.S. border, during the prohibitions, the bootleggers were smuggling whiskey and Sotol across the borders of Chihuahua into the U.S. Oh, really? You no, know, they really went for the whiskey, uh, but, you know, to, 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 to smuggle it through. But these distilleries that were making whiskey were also making Sotol, and they were sort of just telling them, hey, take, take these as well, you know, take this clear spirit, se llama Sotol. Probably the smugglers didn't really care. They're like, alcohol, give me, give me. <laughs> you know, uh, that's sort of how it was in the prohibition. Um, but what happened is that with the crackdown on prohibitions, a lot of these distilleries were either fo- forced to act in secrecy, were closed down, burned down, and so forth. And so, and it was actually deemed illegal to produce Sotol in a law that sort of was never lifted until the mid-90s. So for all these years, Sotol almost just became something that, you know, your local villager makes, you have your jug, you go to the distillery, you fill your jug on a weekly basis and you keep it in your house. And that was how for uh, decades Sotol was enjoyed in northern Mexico. Um, And it's only in the recent years that has been starting to rise to popularity. So... Sorry. So you went down to Mexico, you found this music, you found Cardenche. Uh, tell me then, how did you, you have this background from Campari, you're, you're doing the cheese thing, you're a record producer, you do everything. How do you then start a Sotal brand? Well, the cheese thing uh, had to take a backseat. Uh, and the Campari thing was long gone, although now, I happen to be in the same rooms with a lot of my old colleagues anyway. Um, actually, the other day, we had a, it was a funny moment because uh, I was invited to give a tasting uh, at the New York Public Library that has this beautiful rooftop uh, for its uh, donors and members. And from the rooftop, I could see the offices of Campari in New York. And so I started sending videos to my, to my old boss, being like, guess what? I made it close enough. Uh, <laughs> it's, only been, it's not even been a year that we launched Cardenche and I'm very happy about the response that I've been getting there's lots of people that want to put it into cocktails that want to tell people tell their tenants in their bars and restaurants about it uh, actually just today I was doing R&D in a bar in, in near Flatiron in, in New York uh, that is actually going to be the first Sotoleria in New York. It's a Sotol dedicated bar. Oh, wow. Uh, no, it's very exciting. It's called Bar Calico. My uh, favorite thing about New York, so I, I used to work in New York, and I know, you know this isn't about me, but I just love how like there's places like the Meatball Shop and Parm, and it's like they just tell exactly what it is. I'm surprised the bar isn't called Sotol. Like... There was a pre-dating name uh, there, uh, but I think, you know, I think it's almost uh, more unique that it's not called Sotoleria because you go in, you're expecting it, and it's a beautiful, kind of looks like a very elegant library. You're expecting an elevated cocktail experience, and you open this menu with the expectation of having this unique drinking experience, and you have, boom, like five cocktails, five or six cocktails with Sotole. What the hell is this? And then you have, you know, all the top shelf is only different brands of Sotol. And believe me, we're not many. Uh, there's maybe like six other brands on the market. So, you know, we're a small category, but very kind of uh, 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 gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, I will say there was a celebrity that recently launched uh, Lenny Kravitz 
So that's kind of uh, bringing some buzz. Um, I mean, he just told everybody, are you going to go his way? And then like other brands went on with him. Oh, I actually was there before. I was there before. him. I know. I was just making a very, very bad dad joke. <laughs> well, you, you, you are a dad drinking Sotol today. Yes. Yes. So, but, um, I could expect that. Do you find with Sotol that it's one of those things like that you are going more on-prem first before you're getting other people to like, you know, buy it in a liquor store? Is it one of those things where you have to yeah. go do tastings and you really have to kind of drive foot traffic and be out there and have people like, Hey, have you tried this before? And then you kind of get them hooked that way. Definitely. It's an on-premise, uh, a heavy business at the moment, because that's sort of where, uh, you know, you get your discovery experience. Uh, and then, you know, but if you know if there's enough bars in your neighborhood that are stocking so tall, eventually you're gonna want to have it at your house as well, and 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 that's when you go and to your local shop and and ask for it, and hopefully they'll have it. But yeah, I mean, definitely it is much more found at bars currently than stores. Uh, although you know that's also why I organize a lot of little neighborhood events because I really want people to get accustomed to drinking it uh, uh, multiple times in a night and then really getting hooked on it. Uh, and, and once they're hooked on it, then they're, they're going to continue drinking it. Uh, so it is, and I will say, I mean, the people that do end up trying it, and this some feedback that I'm getting from stores where I sell in as well, people end up buying it once, they always come back, you know, on a weekly or buy, buy on a, Every week or every two weeks, they'll get a bottle, uh, you know, you, so you really get this loyal base of people. And that's really what I want. That's really what we need. You know, it's not something that the masses are going to know straight away. But, you know, that's sort of if we think of Mezcal uh, uh, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, it was the same way. Uh, and people were even less savvy about Mexican spirits, about plants uh, uh, back then. Uh, and I remember myself making the switch you know, 10 years ago from, or even more than 10 years ago from, from gin to, uh, uh, mezcal. And I was like, okay, what, what is this new thing? They maybe, maybe stores only had two or three brands on their shelves. Now you go to a store, you know, the, 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 the lamest store will have six to eight brands of, of mezcal. And there's some places that will have 30. <laughs> so, uh, it's definitely something that is following the same trajectory, you know, uh, uh, starting off in very specialty places and uh, slowly getting recognized uh, by more mainstream uh, locations. Actually, I'm very excited to be featured in a, in a cocktail in a nightclub in Brooklyn, uh, in a very popular nightclub. They're going to have a cocktail with Sotol. Uh, uh, and, you know, this sort of not where I initially envisioned uh, someone drinking Soto, but it's very interesting because, you know, you get the experience of drinking it also in a party context and not just, you know, in a very sophisticated uh, environment, which I think you need both touch points. I think it's important to know, yeah, yeah, I'm drinking something special, but it is not something unapproachable. It is very much something that I can go and, you know, have a cocktail and dance and dance all night well so what, sort of- what's the price point of so tall i mean I, I know it's going to be different for everybody else and i know I, again luigi don't worry we've, we've been doing this a very very long time so you can just say ish right because i know that it's going to be depending on the store how much they bought where it is like we know that the prices are different around the country so just an ish even if it's I- like a ten dollar range yeah, no, I mean, I will say that uh, typically uh, good sotols, they're found in around 60 to $70 range. Uh, that's, that's sort of like the sweet spot of sotol. Uh, of course, there's some that are more expensive. There's a couple that are less expensive. But, you know, uh, the, mo- the majority of sotols that you'll find, and at least of good sotols, artisanal, no additives, not like, you know, industrially made with whatever 
other ingredients inside. This will be uh, ranging in 60 to 70, and that's just the nature of, you know, what it costs for the producer to make it. Um, it's not a cheap drink to make, you know, it doesn't come from, you know, sugar cane or it really, it comes from a plant that takes 12 to 15 years to grow that needs to be distilled with great care. Uh, and, uh, you know, so inherently it's not going to be a cheap process. Yeah. Thankfully there's a lot of it, but it takes a long time for it to grow. So is it one of those things where like you're already thinking ahead where, and you know, when I'm learning a, a, a lot about a new spirit, right. There are parallels for me that bring it back to whiskey that makes sense to me. Um, is it like how you're aging whiskey? Like you're, you're taking these plants, but you're already planting new plants so that, you know, in 12 to 15 years, is it something that you're constantly doing to kind of get ahead of production? Yeah. I mean, I think that the majority of Soto you're going to find on the market right now does come from wild harvested plants, but people are starting already to plant and replant these fields uh, have been and are doing even more so now as they see the category growing and as they saw what happened with agave, for example, which, uh, as we know, is experiencing heavy shortages. And that's just because, you know, people did not, maybe they didn't think about it or were not mindful or were not expecting to become so popular that one day they would run out of plants. Uh, so, definitely, you know, the Sotoleros, we want to avoid that from happening. Um, and we truly believe in this category growing. So, you know, couple the fact that we're replanting and the fact that when we harvest the actual Sotol, even if it's wild harvested, we don't have to uproot it. So, you know, we harvest, cut it at the base and a new plant of Sotol will grow on top of it. So that really favors us a little bit as well. Um, How many plants does it take to get, you know, a, a good distillation? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, it sort of depends on the terroir, actually. So um, Sotol de la Sierra uh, is a bit more expensive. Uh, for example, uh, it, uh, my Sotol, it actually retails at 90, the one from the Sierra. And why is that? Because the plants in the mountains, they are much smaller, so the yield is lower. And what people typically do with Sotol de la Sierra is that they mix agave local agave and Sotol together to get better yields. For me, though, it was very important to make it a 100% Sotol distillate because I'm trying to explain people that is a different plant than agave. So I would kind of like be, uh, uh, you know, battling against myself if I did a, a blend. Um, so that's sort of one plant, one bottle kind of deal in that situation. Uh, whereas for Desierto, you can get uh, a few liters from uh, a plant that grows in the desert. Uh, so really, it just really depends on where the plant grows. Um, yeah. But one plant, one bottle, I mean, that's a lot, right? Like that, it, it takes a lot to get a pretty good yield then. And that's why Sotol de la Sierra is a much smaller batch, whereas Sotol del Desierto is more readily available. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, being mindful of the fact that is harder to find in the, in the mountains. So y'all, this is not something you probably want to do shots of because this is very, unless, unless you're made of money, because this is a very, 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 um, I mean, there's a lot of care. It sounds like that goes into this. What do you see kind of going on with your brand? You know, so you started this and, and it has this big tie to the music and, and you're thinking about all these different ways to kind of activate. And I, I, I mean, all these different types of activations, right? Like, cause you're, you're almost doing some on-prem stuff. You're doing music stuff. You're doing experiences with the Sotal and music and really trying to make this brand come alive. What do you see going on with the brand? I mean, you're going to come to Tennessee. You're going to, where how many states are you in where do you see the growth pattern all that fun stuff yeah i mean you know we launched uh, i would say in the more kind of obvious states perhaps uh, new york for me was a very important market it's our biggest one currently 
uh, it's where I live and it's where there's a lot of uh, uh, bars and restaurant activity going on. So that was a, and where people are honestly just also very open to new experiences and new products and learning and trying weird, funky things. So, and also heavy cocktail culture. So New York uh, was our first place. Well, after Mexico, our first, we first launched in Mexico city uh, and, you know, we sell in Mexico and in the city, both also in, in San Miguel de Allende, in Los Cabos, these areas. And then in the U S we launched in New York. Then we went to Miami, Tampa. Uh, we do a little bit of Austin, Texas, and we just recently expanded to Colorado. Uh, and the reason I also mentioned Tennessee is because uh, our distributor in Colorado has a big presence in Georgia and Tennessee as well. And they have expressed interest in, you know, trickling into those states next. But, you know, I don't want to talk too soon. It's going to come. It's probably going to come up next. But right now we're focusing on where we are. Uh, With your love of music, while you're not here doing so tall experiences in Nashville, Tennessee, I don't understand why. I'm going to be there very soon. You know, it's uh, it's always uh, uh, it's always a process rolling out. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you got to sort of uh, solidify a, a little market before moving on to the next. Uh, it's only been, you know, it's been almost a year that we've been on the market. So I think, you know, we're making progress. Uh, uh, but I guarantee you within the next six months, we're going to be Nashville, Memphis, working with blues musicians and uh, pouring so tall for the people. That's I totally sure. get that. I totally get that. Um, the, one of the questions, and I know, again, this has been a very, very fun conversation, but it hasn't been as linear as some of my podcasts are where it's like, okay, tell me your story, how you started all that. Like, but I am very interested, you know, I know like if you're starting a whiskey company, you are either going to do clear spirits or you're going to source things right away. And you're going to kind of do all this other stuff. You don't have to do that with so tall because you can distill it and go out and sell it that afternoon if you wanted to. Right. So like, what is the process? Um, what is the process of getting a distillery started for so tall? Like explain that to me just a little bit. Like you have this idea, how do you go out and do it? Yeah. I mean, because my brand is so focused on having constantly new terroirs, uh, I, you know, I don't have my own distillery that I built, but I kind of like to see myself as a curator of different distilleries. I go there, I find the people that makes a Sotol batch that I like. And then we start working with them to create a special recipe from their distillery for Cardenche, you know, something that will have a flavor profile that is unique to our brand. Uh, uh, and that comes from the region and the terroir in which the distillery is located. So, you know, it's a very much working hand in hand with each distillery. It's people that have been, uh, you know, there for generations and generations, you know, third, fourth, even fifth generation so tall producers uh, that, you know, are very much experts in the game and uh, that I've learned a lot from, uh, you know, I had to be in the distillery, work in the distillery, learn the process, learn how to make it uh, before I could even uh, uh, get these distillers to agree to make it for me. Um, I had to get certified. Uh, I became a sommelier of Sotol. It's called a, a sommelier. Uh, so, you know, there's like a lot of things that went into the process. I really wanted to be very much an expert in the product that I was making because I am trying to perpetrate a very authentic message, a very authentic brand, you know, and that's why even the experiences that I craft are, are I believe at least are authentic because I want Cardenche to be seen as, you know, a very experiential or better yet, I want the drinkers to have an experiential mindset, uh, around drinking Sotol. Uh, and, and yeah, well, that's sort I, of how it, I'm so thankful that you shared it with me and, and I really can't wait to see where the brand goes. 
um you are doing awesome um i i'm looking at the bottle here it is a very unique bottle too like there, there is just i mean even that is a, a work of art in and of itself now i i did not i i only need samples here uh, but the bottle is gorgeous. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is indeed uh, a work of art. We worked with an artist uh, that uh, lent inspiration from Estridentismo, which is an avant-garde Mexican uh, art movement from the 1920s, uh, just the period when Soto was at its peak popularity, I guess. And, you know, really the... the, 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 the uh, core message behind this movement was to establish a national Mexican identity beyond what was known before, you know, before Mexico and Mexican art and Mexican culture was seen as like Mayans and sombreros and conquistadores. And in the 1920s, the people, they said, no, that's not who we are. That's what we were. We are a nation of our own that's developing into something modern and we want to show it through our art. So it's very kind of linear and avant-garde, almost people say Picasso-esque. So we wanted to lend this kind of, uh, uh, you know, lend from this art, estridentismo and design uh, uh, and, and print on the bottle a design that is uh, representative of the, of the terroir. So, you know, each bottle uh, of different terroirs will have you know a representation either the sand the dunes for the desert or the mountains for the sierra uh, but also uh, representing the cardencia singers uh, as well as um really shining and and as you'll see the bottle has these very different hues of green between the the shading of the actual glass and the printed design and the label are different hues of green and we wanted to sort of give this mental connection of I'm about to drink something that's a little bit more vegetal, a little bit more grassy uh, through the green uh, bottling, as well as, in fact, um, you know, try to create something that at least a packaging that people recognize. Uh, you know, uh, when I was uh, conceptualizing the bottle together with the artists, we were thinking, you know, Patron, uh, you know, when Patron came out, some people didn't even know what tequila was and they were drinking it anyway. And they just knew that that really cool looking bottle was this very special spirit from Mexico. And eventually they figured out it was tequila uh, after drinking it enough. Um, and, you know, that's sort of what we want. We want people to transcend uh, the product, the Sotol, from seeing this iconic bottle and sort of remembering it and, and be inquisitive of it. Sometimes they're just sitting on the shelf and people say, what's that? Uh, and it gives the bartender a chance to, or the store owner a chance to explain, this is, you know, Cardenche, it's a Sotol. Um, and, and that's a little bit what uh, we wanted to do. And that's also why, uh, as a side note, that's also why we work also with a lot of galleries and artists. Uh, uh, you know, we tend to pop up at all the major art fairs, we, I support a lot of uh, galleries uh, in New York and in Miami. Uh, uh, I have in the past and I currently am doing it just because I think that it is, you know, given the nature of the very kind of avant-garde packaging mixed with the avant-garde spirit, uh, it's something that the art community will be and has been very appreciative of. Um, so that's also one touch point. No, that that's, I mean, I love when a brand just cares enough to, you know, about their marketing, about their packaging and Zeke always kind of gets on me for this, but it's like, you know, this is your bottle. This is your thing that you're putting out into the world. And the fact that you care so much about it and you've gone into great detail to weave so much stuff together. I think it speaks to who you are and I like knowing that somebody gave a crap about how they presented something to me. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I just, I don't want it to, it's like, yeah, you know, you can, you can put a regular old label on it slap it for 90 bucks. I mean, if, if something is going to cost 90 bucks, I want to know that you have put $90 worth of effort into there 
before I get it. And I definitely feel like you have. This is a great spirit. I enjoyed both of them. Um, I, I think I think I am a Sotal fan now. I and I'm not even saying I mean I'm not bullshitting you. I'm not doing all that. Like this was a very, very fun interview. It was fun for me to learn about a new spirit. Luigi, tell everybody like your website, how people can go find you. Um, can they order online if it's not in their state yet? Yeah, definitely. You can order it online on our website, Cardenche Sotol and Cardenche does with the X, Cardenche, uh, Sotol.mx. Um, shop Cardenche, you know, you can find it through our Instagram, through our website. We're going to have some really special merch uh, coming out soon, uh, collaborated with a fashion brand. <laughs> I don't doubt that you have tricks up your sleeve. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to have those up there soon, but for now you can go get your bottles online. If you're not in your state, you can even subscribe. So you can go online and just, you could get your monthly total fix, not even have to think twice about it. Just poof, one click and you get it sent every month. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways in which you can get your hands and your, uh, everything on it. Well, Luigi, I think a lot of people buy spirits because they like the person behind the brand. And I know that a lot of people listening are going to like you and they are going to seek out your brand just because you're interesting as hell. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And um, I can't wait to see what happens with Cardenche. I can't wait for you to come to Nashville. Thank you again for coming on Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Thank you for having me. And y'all can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open, honest review, just like we leave open, honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Y'all can find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers.